Good evening. What a beautiful time of worship. If you will, we open your Bibles to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, as we continue worshiping. We'll actually pick up at the end of Hebrews, the fifth chapter. If you want a, a Bible in your pew there, it's uh, 1,063, somewhere close to that. And uh, we're thankful for a great day. We know many of you have been away this morning or back home tonight, and I hope your day's been good. Many of you had uh, family here this morning, and it was a great morning here. We want to continually remind you that the new quarter is here from the from the plan from the beginning, and uh, much of what we covered this morning is the very same thing that, that we've been reading through on that, and so uh, if you're doing that plan, you recognize that, and it went right along with what we're studying, and hope that uh, if you're not doing a daily Bible reading, that would be a great opportunity. They're still in the windowsills and scattered throughout the foyer. Uh, be sure that you stay in the Word of God. Tonight, we're going to be talking uh, about a text that would support and strengthen uh, the study, or at least relate to the study uh, this morning that you studied in your Bible classes as we think about the responsibility that God gives deacons to be leaders of service, and then each of us to be involved in service. And it may seem like that that's not what we're studying tonight, but we'll get there. And when we get there, the verses that will lead up to that will help us to even have a greater understanding of those last three or four verses. And so I hope all of us, and it'll tie back in even to what we're saying about uh, being a part of the Word of God on a daily basis. We are not designed to be healthy spiritual individuals that do not eat spiritual food. The Word of God is our spiritual food. There's no other, there's no substitute, there's no shortcut. And so if you're looking for a spiritual life of service, you can't have a spiritual life of service if your diet is not the Word of God. Now, you can have a life of service, but it will not be what God designed. And so we'll see uh, a glimpse of that from uh, Hebrews 5 and going in uh, to Hebrews 6 in just a moment. Allow me to mention a couple of other things quickly. Friends Day is coming up and there are uh, postcards with the who, what, when, and where scattered all throughout the foyer. Be sure you pick those up. It'll be two weeks from today. It's April 22nd. And uh, most of you remember, and maybe there's some first-timers here, Sunday morning the service will be scheduled exactly the same as normal. Uh, Bible classes will meet as uh, they usually do, and there will not be a lunch. So we want to encourage you, if you invite a guest for Sunday morning, and please do, uh, be sure and invite them to go to lunch with you also. Either take them out or take them to your home or invite yourself to their house, but be sure you eat lunch together. And, and that will be a great way to spend the morning. And then remember that we will have services here Sunday night, uh, but it will be uh, very few here Sunday night in comparison to last year, there was probably 600 or more at the park. And so it's a huge gathering at the park. And we, we uh, get there early enough to go around and invite other people that are in the park to join us for worship and also to join us uh, for the meal. And, and uh, then just the visiting and the children's games that will follow that. And, and uh, if, if you've been a part of it, and I know most of you have, the, I guess the thing that took us by surprise the first year we did this was how it was every age that asked, why do we only do this once a year? Uh, it, was that, it was that plea. Let's try to figure out how to do this two or three times a year. It is really, really a blessing. If uh, walking is difficult for you, you will walk a lot less down there than you will here. There's handicapped parking with uh, a 
cart that will literally drive right beside your chair. And so if you can take one step, uh, that would be much more convenient for you uh, than coming here. Uh, But we will go out of our way to try to cover every base that needs to be covered. And I know many of you are working along uh, in those plans right now, and we appreciate everyone's labor in that. Right now, the job that all of us has. All of us, has the re- all of us have the responsibility to be praying for this. All of us have the responsibility uh, to be inviting individuals. I want to encourage you to make a list of at least five individuals that you're going to invite and first start out a few days praying for them. And, and then be sure you, you give them a call and, and give them an invitation. Uh, we have members of this congregation uh, that they are members uh, because the first time they met us was on Friends Day. And and uh, we have a few families here uh, that that is true of. And so our hope and our prayer is that this day will make an eternal difference in the life of an individual or of a family or maybe many individuals and families. And so let's all do our part uh, to spread a good word for Jesus Christ. Also, uh, we just want to reminisce and picture for just a moment of the father-daughter uh, retreat. There were a lot of things that took place, a lot of things we learned. I tell you, you're reminded when you go on a gathering like this how blessed we are in the Mount Juliet congregation. Just so many uh, wonderful men and girls were on this trip. It was such a blessing to spend uh, a couple of days together and spent the day learning that we have a lot of girls that, that they do a good job at horseback riding, a good job at fishing. Uh, we learned that, that you can actually make building a bonfire into an art. If you're wondering, uh, you ask any guy and probably several of the girls, and they would be glad to tell you about that bonfire that was absolutely amazing. Never seen one like it before, uh, but I'm sure we'll have some around here like that in the future because that was absolutely amazing. Uh, we also learned that several of our ladies can eat a lot of steak and baked potatoes. We ate well while we were there, and, uh, and just a lot of good times, a lot of good times sitting around visiting. Uh, girls swinging on rope swings and jumping jump rope and just a good time. A lot of good devotionals, a lot of good spiritual application made throughout the weekend. Uh, We're thankful for all of our young people and all of our fathers and we just want to give all of us a reminder the responsibility we have to each other. Daughters have responsibilities to their families. Uh, Fathers have responsibility to their daughters. And let's make sure that we're all reminded of the gift and the responsibility that God has given us a family. The book of Hebrews is an interesting book. It seems to capitalize especially on the fact that it was trying to make that final movement from Judaism to Christianity. You can imagine how hard it would be for some of the Jews to to leave all of that behind and fully embrace Christianity. And so the book of Hebrews makes some things very, very clear. Christ is a better sacrifice than the sacrifices under the old law. Christ is a better high priest than any of the high priests under the old law. Christ's covenant is a better covenant than the covenant of the old law. Better, better, better. And so with that being emphasized, there's also the encouragement that's offered to those who are faithful. And we'll see a passage of that toward the end this evening. But we also see some very strong passages towards those that it's obvious that apostasy has either already set in or it's about to set in in the lives of those individuals. And these passages are mixed together in that. In other words, it could be true even in this very gathering here. It reminds us of the parable in Matthew the 13th chapter where the the wheat was growing, but also among the wheat there were tares. 
Or when the, the net was cast out, there were all kind of fish brought in. And some were good fish and some were not good fish. You see, the challenge has always been that, that they're always in the Lord's church. In the Lord's church, there are always going to be those who are wholly devoted. And there's also going to be those that are losing their way. Tonight, if you're one of those that's losing your way, hopefully the beginning part of this study will help you renew your focus and, and step back on the right track. I would think all of us could say that we've walked in some of those steps before where we were losing our focus and losing our way. But then the last section of this is hopefully something that all of us can apply. And so let's begin at Hebrews, the fifth chapter, and we're going to pick up in verse 10. And I know this is the middle of a paragraph, but it, this paragraph is not easy to just dive into and fully explain. So all I wanted was the tail end of this because it sets up the paragraphs that we're going to be studying. So notice in verse 10, called by God as a high priest, talking about Melchizedek, according to the order of Melchizedek, and this is Christ called like the order of Melchizedek. But notice, he was trying to teach them this, but they just couldn't get it because they were sluggish, because they were lazy in their study of the Word of God. And so notice how he says this in 11 to finish this sentence. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And the Greek word there is nothros, dull of hearing. It's in the New Testament twice. And if you will glance down, you will see that it is also in the middle of 12. Look at 12 of, of the sixth chapter. Look at verse 12. That you do not become sluggish. I wish the, the translations, as they translate, they would have kept it the same word because I believe that's what the Hebrew writer is trying to show us here. And that you do not become sluggish. In other words, you don't become dull of hearing the word of God, but imitate those who through faith and etc. The reason I want to go ahead and point that out to you is those are the bookends that we're going to use. The only time those, that word is used in the New Testament, we see it here by the Hebrew writer where he's talking to one group of individuals and he says, let me tell you the problem. There's a lot of things that I or somebody needs to teach you, but we'd have a hard time doing that right now because you've become very sluggish. You've become very dull in your hearing. In other words, your study of the Word of God has become either so elementary or so nothing that now we can't move forward in this. And then he works his way down to those who aren't in that category. Those who are not dull of hearing, those who are taking the Word of God and they're learning the Word of God and it's helping them be better servants in the Lord's kingdom. And so what we want to do is work between these two bookends and, and make sure that, that we fall in the description of those who are not dull of hearing. And so notice what he says to those individuals in 12 now that he set this up. And we're back now in the fifth chapter. The fifth chapter in verse 12. Notice what he says. For though by this time you ought, we're going to key on that word in a moment, you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the first principles, the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now, there's, let's pause here for just a moment, and then we'll link 12 and 13 together. Notice how he says there, for by this time. In other words, a period of time has passed. We don't know how much time it is, and that really isn't significant, except is to understand a period of time has passed. The Hebrew writer knows these individuals, and he's saying enough time has passed that now... Not only should you have learned the first principles, now you ought to pay it forward. 
Somebody's taught you the first principles. I want you to think about deposit. They have deposited the word of God into your life. And because of your diligent study, you have learned the word of God. And now you have the opportunity to pay it forward to somebody else that wants to learn the first principles. But he says, we've got a problem here. We have insufficient funds. The word ought, the word ought in the Greek literally means to pay a debt. So he says, you've been taught and you ought to be able to pay that debt forward. But he says, you can't do it. You have insufficient funds. Right now, if you had to sit down after church, just you and somebody else in the library, and all they wanted to know was they wanted to know the first principles, could you tell them what you have learned of the first principles? You ought. You should be able to pay that forward. If we can't pay that forward, what we're going to see in the study tonight is that ultimately it affects our life of service. Now, notice here when he points out in in, um, 13 and 14, he continues this. Now, notice in in, uh, 12, he introduced the fact that there's milk of the Word of God and there's solid food of the Word of God. And so that's what he lays out in the next two chapters. I'm sorry, next two verses. Look in 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the Word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So do you notice that? We have milk that equates to unskilled in the Word of God and that equates to a babe. Now, not in the same order, but all three of these are told on the opposite side that's a more positive in verse 14. Instead of milk, we have solid food belongs to those not are babes, but are full age. They are maturing. And that's not talking about an age as in, are you a teenager or are you 40-something or 80-something? It's talking about spiritually, you are a full age, you are maturing. So not of the milk, but instead solid food and not a babe, but full age. That is those who by... Now notice, before they were unskilled in the Word of God, now they can take the Word of God and they can reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now I do not want to take away from how wonderful and blessed we are to have scholars in the Lord's church. Please don't misunderstand me. We need scholars in the Lord's church. You wouldn't have the preacher you have today, whether you like that or not, you wouldn't have the preacher you have today if it were not for scholars in the Lord's church because every week I sit down and I study what some scholar or what many scholars have said on various passages. We need the men who know Hebrew inside and out. We need the men who know Greek inside and out. We need the men who know how to link passages together where oftentimes when we read it, we might think to ourselves, I would have never thought. Look how beautiful that is. Friends, that's scholarship, and that is beautiful. But note this. That is not the driving force that is being reckoned here. He is saying, I want everybody to learn the Word of God, not because I want everybody to be a scholar. I just want everybody to be able to reason when a situation in life comes up tomorrow at school or at work or in your home this evening or in your community tomorrow or while you're on the interstate driving tomorrow. The situation arises and God says, I want you to be able to take the meat of the Word and I want you to be able to reason what is the right thing are the wrong thing to do at this particular moment, and I want you to be able to make the right decision with the situation and the Word of God. Listen, if I can go throughout a day and never ask myself, what would the Word of God say about this situation I'm in? 
I'm way off base. And friends, I don't say that to beat any of us up. I say that to save our souls. Every day, multiple times a day, the Word of God ought to go through our mind. What is it that God would want me to say to this person right now that is making me so angry? What is it that God would want me to do in this situation where I am so tempted to lie? What is it that God would want me to do to reach out to this person that is in such great need? This person, their heart is breaking. You just fill in the blank. God gives direction to all of those. How am I going to be a servant to other people if I do not know anything but the milk of God's Word? I can't do it. The milk of the Word leaves us owing a debt that we cannot pay. So we go now to the sixth chapter, seeing that the word therefore is tying what has just been said. And so he says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, it's not because they're bad principles, but it's time to learn them and move beyond them. Uh, The elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That's the idea of completeness. Let's finish the journey spiritually of knowledge that we're on, not laying again the foundation of repentance. Now, if, if you're reading on the screen, you'll notice that there are six numerals that are italicized. Now, Obviously, they're not in your Bible, and they're not in the original text. I only did this to speed us up tonight on the application of the text. When we think, and we could ask the Hebrew writer, what do you call elementary things? Isn't it interesting that he lists six things that he says, these are elementary These are things that we ought to know and we ought to have that foundation in place and we ought to be able to teach it and we ought to be able to move beyond this. And so he lists these six. And notice, the first is the foundation of repentance from the dead works and faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptism. Notice how those three deal with salvation. Faith, repentance, and baptism. There's a lot that could be said about that, but notice, those three deal with our salvation. Can you tell someone... I'm not talking about scholarship. I'm not talking about explaining Greek or Hebrew words. Can you tell someone what you did in order to become a Christian? Can you tell them about faith? Can you tell them about repentance? Can you tell them about baptism? But then there are other doctrines that would relate to everyone, and especially in the first century, you can imagine this first one on the next, which is actually the fourth, being a hot topic, and that is the laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, it's interesting when we think the laying on the hands ultimately provided a spiritual gift. And so it may be that what the Hebrew writer here is capitalizing on is the very idea like Paul when he was writing to Timothy, and he told him that the hands have been laid on him and the gift has been there, and you need to stir up that gift. He literally was saying the hands have been laid on, and son, I don't see you stirred up about the gift God gave you. What if right now God looked you in the eye and said, I can tell you this is the gift I've given you. This is the ability I've given you. And I think you need to stir it up. Would God say that? Or would God say, thank you for being so passionate with the gift that that I've given you. But then also we see of judgment and we see of eternal life. Do I live every day in view of judgment? That I want to stand before my Lord. I don't dread it. I look forward to standing before my Lord because of His grace and because of the hope of the promises that one day we can have eternal life with Him. 
There's so many things that can be said about these fundamental things. Now, I'd like for you to notice, we're going to go into 4, 5, 6, and 7, and we can only touch this for just a moment, or time is going to get away from us, and we really need to drive this lesson home with the end of these verses. Oftentimes, these next verses are considered very hard to understand. They're verses that people that believe in Calvinism, it just really throws them for a loop. And you get all kind of strange teachings. But it's the idea that most definitely an individual can fall. But now here is what he seems to be saying. If an individual makes a decision that they no longer want to serve God, there's nothing you or anybody else can do to change that until that person says, I want to change And so it's impossible for us to go. You know, there was a time we ought to become teachers. Well, what if you go to someone who's fallen away? If they do not love God more than they love the sin that they're in, it will be impossible to bring them back. I'll say that again. If they love the sin that they're in more than they love God, it will be impossible to bring them back. Let's see how he says it here, and, and, uh, and just note that this is still speaking to those who are on the way to apostasy or either already in it. And notice in, in verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, see, they, they knew the truth, and have tasted the heavenly gift, that's a beautiful description, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God. Isn't that a beautiful way to describe the study of God's Word and the learning of God's Word? We have tasted it. Isn't the Word of God a a beautiful word to digest? And the powers of the age to come. Now notice, they had all of those things once, but notice what happened in 6. If they fall away. Now someone tells you they believe in security of believers in the sense that no one can ever fall away. Look at passages like this. These people were saved. They were enlightened. They tasted the Word of God. They even had partakers of the Holy Spirit. They knew the heavenly. That's living in Christ. We can go back to Ephesians and study that through. And, and then what does he say? If they fall away. The Lord says individuals can fall away. He makes it clear. To renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God. We just sang about that, didn't we? About crucifying Christ again. When we decide to go back into a life of sin, we crucify our Lord time and time again, and we put him to an open shame. And what's that like? Now, this is an illustration, and and again, I'm just only doing this because it's right here in the Bible. I'm, I'm not trying to go country on you, but if any of you grew up in the country, you know what it is to burn off a field. Whenever there gets to be a lot of underbrush, whenever there gets to be a lot of briars, the best and the easiest thing to do is early, early, before spring, late winter, before, well, just a few weeks ago would have been the time to do it, burn it off. Just yesterday, I looked over at a little field, a real small field at my father's, and, and, uh, and he just mentioned, he said, isn't it hard to believe that we burnt that off just a few weeks and now it's tall, green, beautiful grass? I said, why don't you burn it, Pop? And he said, those gullies over there had so much undergrowth in them, and we just wanted to clear them out and get nice, fresh growth this year and look beautiful. What about people that serve the Lord and then they turn their back and instead of producing fruit for the kingdom, they produce weeds in Satan's service, briars. Notice how he says it in 7 and 8. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it's cultivated. That's what Christians are. They're useful for people. 
receive blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. They would have known that well. You get the field that's taken over that at one time it produced good fruit, but now it's taken over with the briars. What do you do? You burn it. Listen, the work of the kingdom is far greater than any one person. We can either give our life to the good and the glory of the kingdom, or we've gathered ourselves with briars that will receive the punishment of all those that have turned their back on the kingdom. Now, where does this lead us? If you can do this with me quickly, I want you to think about faith, hope, and love as we're about to go in this next section. And, and now he's going to change gears. He's going to give a contrast. You see there in verse 9, but beloved. Beloved is used about 50 times in the Bible. The first nine times that the word beloved is used is talking about God to his son, Jesus. Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Beloved never describes somebody in apostasy. Beloved describes somebody who's on the same team. Listen, if we're going to, biblically speaking here, we don't talk to people out in the world in a sense that they are our beloved. We're not on the same team. We have different hearts, different missions, different gods, different creeds that we live by, and a different destiny. I'm saying this to try to help you see that what God wants us to do is look around at each other and realize the gift we have in each other. We're in this together. There are thousands of people that when we leave here, we'll go back out in our communities. We're not in life with them together. Here's your beloved. Here's your people that love your God the way you love your God. Here's your people that share in a life of service the way you share in a life of service. Here's the people that love the Word of God and esteem it as the true, infallible Word of God. And so he's talked about those who were slipping or either they had gone into apostasy. And then he says, but, there's a contrast. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. He says, we know you're doing better. What were they doing better? Yes, things accompanying salvation, though we speak of this manner. What were they doing better on? Remember those first three fundamental things? He says, you're doing better. You know about salvation. And you know about the life that builds itself upon the teachings from God's Word. And so here we go. Faith, hope, and love. Not in that exact order, though. We'll start out with love. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work. And what is your work? And labor of love, which you have shown where? Toward his name. And what does that move us to do? In that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Please get this. He says, God's not going to forget you. He sees your heart. He knows how you starve for knowledge from him, how you use that knowledge to direct your steps. He sees your labor. Now, what's your labor? Let me interrupt myself here and say, I don't know if we, if I, I know I haven't lived in a time where serving is more favorable. In my lifetime, I've never seen it more favorable. 
It's easier right now for nonprofit organizations to raise money to get volunteers than probably any other time that I've been alive. Serving is very favorable right now. What's your motive to serve, though? We have a world that serves. But notice, you say, well, I love people. That's good. That's the second greatest commandment, and that should be part of the reason. Deacons, all servants, but especially deacons, do you serve because your highest motive is you like the particular ministry you're in? Or is your highest motive you love others? Or is your highest motive, I love the name of God? That's the highest motive. I want you to notice that again. We won't, for application tonight, we won't read anything more important. I want you to look at this again. I'm going to read it again, verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work. And what is your work? And labor of love. It's work that is through the motive of love. What is that love from? It stems from that you love, that you have shown toward His name. And when we love God, what does He teach us to do? To minister to the saints. He says, I know you love my name. I have seen the way you have given your life in serving, and I know that you're going to continue to give your life in serving. Listen, you name any ministry we have, and that ministry ought to be carried out to individuals so that ultimately, not only do we want to deliver you a Meals on Wheels, we want to move you closer to the name of God. We not only want to worship with you at the Mount Juliet Nursing Home, we want to move you closer to God. We don't want to just teach a fifth grade Bible class. We want to move you closer to God. Listen, if our motive is not, I love God's name. That's not just God, but when you say name, it means I love the authority of God in my life. His name, His power, His reign. I love God and Him reigning in my life. That must be the motive for all of us and why we want to be involved in service. And so we close just by reading the last few verses here. Look in verse 11 and we'll see faith and hope. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Hope is believing that the promises of God will come true. Hold that to the end. That you do not become sluggish. That's our word. You don't become lazy. And what? The word of God. Instead, you imitate those who through faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You don't become sluggish in the word of God. Instead, you imitate those that have put faith in their action and patient inheritance of the promise. Tonight, the greatest motive we can have in our life is to love the name of God. And if we love the name of God, we're going to constantly say, I don't want to be sluggish. I don't want to be dull of hearing. I want to know what is God's will. And when I learn God's will, He is going to point us into service. But our service then is rendered from the motive 
of we want to serve others because we love God. Now note this. If my motive is because I love God, then if I don't get the attention that I wish or the praise that I wish, it doesn't matter because I'm doing it because I love God. Or maybe we're actually serving someone who is difficult. We'll continue serving them because we're not serving them because of them. We're serving them because we love God. And that love moves us and them toward an eternity of hope through faith. This evening... Let's make sure that we don't leave here being more descriptive of like the first, those that are moving toward apostasy. Let's make sure that we leave here tonight on the trail and on the life and the focus that says, I love the name of God and I want to esteem His name highly.